Hello and welcome to Core Women. My name is Dr. Summer Watson and I'm the founder of Core Women and I'm also an empowerment strategist for women. So if you're listening to this podcast to delve more into empowerment strategies, well, you're here for the right reason. However, Core Women was also developed because it's a special place that provides a unique idea of home for the hearts and souls of women. It's a place for us to share our strength, energy, wisdom, and authenticity. It's a place for women to find support and strategic empowerment ideas that will help support their lives. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Kate Colbert, who is an accomplished marketer, speaker, market research communications consultant, author, and owner of Silvertree Publishing. Let's get right into talking about your journey, Kate, and welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Summer. I appreciate it. Absolutely. You are such an accomplished woman, Kate. How did your professional journey begin? Really, probably pretty quite simply, it started with a love for words. So even when I was a little girl, I fell in love with writing and poetry, which is not, not a career uh, most of us could make. Um, but um, but you know, I, I discovered very, very young that I had um, a love for putting sentences together and stories together. And so I thought maybe the best way forward for me would be to be an English teacher. So I started out um, going off to college and earning my, my first several degrees in English studies and literature and composition with a desire to be an English professor forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> and, I did, and I did that um, for a short period of time and, and I loved it and I loved being in front of a classroom and I loved my students and I worked at some really wonderful colleges and universities and it came to be really clear in my mind one day that while I really loved teaching other people how to write, I didn't love that as much as I loved writing. Oh, so I, I knew I needed to make a shift, right? So right. it's about it's about channeling your passion in the way that gives you the very most that you can. And I was getting bits of it teaching other people, um, you know, how to write, but not as much. And I had no time left to write for myself. So, so I did what was a very scary thing. So in my um, late twenties, I um, left academia and. And I decided that I was going to sort of start from scratch in a new industry. And I took a job as a relatively low-level editor at a magazine publishing business. And that was a really interesting experience and a scary one. So I decided to go work for them um, talking about a topic I knew nothing about. So I was working at a magazine um, in the trade industry in high tech, kind of right at the top of the dot-com bubble and just when cell phones were starting to get um, a little bit smaller, so they were all still sort of flip phones or little brick phones at the time, um, but they weren't particularly smart, um, right. but I was, yeah, they were not smart at all, um, but they were still over my head, still completely over my head, technologically speaking. You know, we were talking about a woman here with a master's degree in comparative lit, and I was writing um, about semiconductor packaging, silicon wow. wafers, that kind of thing. So this is really just a learning experience for you at this point. It was, and it was a really wonderful experience. I'll never forget that at the interview, the chief editor said to me, he said, well, you know, most of the people who are editors on our magazine um, are engineers. Um, and, you know, you don't have a background in engineering. Ironically enough, my father had wanted me to be an electrical engineer. He used to tell me a woman with a double E degree can write her own ticket. Um, so, 
I, what I said to the gentleman who was interviewing me, I said, I think it's a really vital question that you ask. And I said, and I think, I think it's you who needs to answer a different question to decide whether or not to hire me. And the question is this, would it be easier to teach me about semiconductor packaging or easier to teach an engineer how to write? Good question. And I got the job. <laughs> and, and it was a wonderful experience. I was one of, um, you know, I sort of think about all the women that you work with and, and that you empower. And it was an interesting, it, from a, a sort of a gender politics time, it was a really interesting time. Um, so I would go to conferences um, and, you know, in Silicon Valley where 30,000 people were coming to these massive conferences that were being stretched across two cities. And, um, and I would be wearing a press pass, so I'd have a red ribbon, you know, on my badge. And 30,000 attendees and people from across the room would see me and they would recognize that I was young, female, and wearing a press pass. And all 30,000 of those people knew who I was. Wow. Um, yeah, one of the only women in the entire industry at the time, and, um, which was a little intimidating. But it also created opportunity for me to really sort of create a voice for myself. And um, I'm proud to say that um, I really enjoyed that experience while it lasted, um, sort of before um, the industry really shifted on us, and a lot of us um, lost our jobs during some contraction uh, at those businesses. But I was the journalist who um, broke the story about the invention of Bluetooth technology. Um, so that was kind of fun. Yeah, it was a whole lot of and I, I, Yeah, I know. And I didn't leave the industry until um, I was at a place where other engineers were asking me where I got my engineering degree. So I thought That's I've learned fantastic. how to. Isn't that fun, right? So what happened for me, I think, through that experience, Summer, is that I realized there are a lot of people out there in the world who are deep, deep experts in their function or their area of specialty and have really important stories to tell and have really important information to get out there, but they might not be really great communicators. They might not be great writers. They might not have sort of the emotional connection to a readership or an audience to understand how to persuade and how to get people to sit up and listen. And I had that latter set of skills. And it occurred to me that that could be a really unique career. What might it look like if I said that I'm not afraid to work with clients in various industries, healthcare, high tech, higher education, professional services, law, and learn about all of these different areas and become a student of these different areas so that I could talk about them with a certain amount of credibility um, and help those folks take their stories to market. And so what happened was that, you know, I was a marketer and I didn't know it. And I have since then built a really very rewarding career as a marketing consultant. So after I left, the um, high-tech uh, magazine industry, I had the opportunity to run the marketing departments at a couple of different colleges and universities. So I was the head of marketing at what is now Rosalind Franklin at the University of Medicine and Science. And that was a wonderful opportunity for me to really hone my skills um, in academic marketing and communications, but also to really become a good, strong writer working side-by-side -side with scientists um, and uh, healthcare practitioners, which is still an area of, of love for me. And then I went on um, to run um, uh, the, uh, be the marketing director over at um, Lake Forest Graduate School of Management, which is an independent um, MBA program in Chicago. And 
meanwhile, was running this company I had started up on the side at that point, Silver Tree Communications, which is now 17 years old and is now my full-time job and love. And I was able to take what I had learned sort of early in my career as a writing professor, as a magazine editor who people were pitching stories to me. I learned how to sort of turn all of that around and figure out how to write those stories, pitch those stories to others, and how to take brands, um, figure out what's the meaningful difference of hospital A versus hospital B, and how do we communicate that to the marketplace? What's the meaningful difference of one particular elite college or university versus its competitors, and how do we make sure that the incoming students and their parents really understand that difference? So today, it's a totally different um, journey than where I had started, but I think um, a surprisingly sort of natural and, and fun evolution to have gotten here. Today, I run two businesses. Uh, Silver Tree Market Research is our primary focus um, in terms of the work that we do to help organizations tell data-driven stories. So we do a, a lot of market research to find out what your customers, our company's customers and organization's customers really care about and think and feel so that we can help them develop the right marketing strategies and tell their stories in the right way. And then I have um, a sister company, Silver Tree Publishing, which is a book publishing company. Well, that is some journey. And I want to take a few steps back because you, you said so many interesting things talking about your journey and which I have a few questions for you. So it was very brave of you to take that step and go from, okay, I'm going to work in academia and I'm going into a completely different area for a profession. When you look at that, how did you muster the courage to do that? There wasn't a whole lot of courage. I got to be honest with you. I was terrified and I felt like a failure. So I was in my late twenties and I had my, first master's degree at that point, a, a degree in comparative lit. I did eventually in my 30s realize I was a business person um, and surprised myself by that. So I did go get my MBA eventually. But um, I felt like a big failure that, well, all my friends and family and my former professors um, who thought I was going to spend my career in academia think that that I quit, you know, that I, that I sort of failed at this um, but because I had been very good at it. Um, but it, an interesting thing happened. Um, in terms of the marketplace, the job market. So I came out of my master's um, in, in lit program at a time when, you know, this was before Google. So, so there, there was, <laughs> I, I know, it's hard to imagine, right? I know. But I know, right? I I know, I know where you were. I was there along with you. I was also an English major. So I, I yeah. get some of that journey. You know, I understand the struggle. Yeah. It was hard, and so, and here's the thing we didn't know, right? So we didn't know back then. So I came out of, um, I think it was 1998 when I finished my first master's degree, and, you know, so we had email, and there was the World Wide Web, and there was these sort of, you know, black screens with white type kind of ways right. to get information. Um, but there was no way to ask a search engine, um, what does the job market look like for people who want a tenure track? A teaching position in English at an American university. We didn't know. What I, what I know now is that um, I was walking around with a newly minted master's degree trying to find a tenure track position in English in the United States when for every tenure track English position that was open, there were 700 candidates and most of them had PhDs. 
Mm-hmm. So I couldn't, I couldn't compete. And I was sort of, I was young and I was newly married to my first husband at the time. And um, we were not, you know, he had a stable job and we were not in a position that we could just sort of pick up and move anywhere, wherever the job was. Um, and this was certainly during an era when um, nobody was teaching online. So, I, you know, I had to go wherever the job was and, and it just wasn't going to work. So I was teaching at two different institutions when I was teaching. Um, at, at the end, I was teaching at Loyola University, Chicago, which is a wow, phenomenal. Fantastic. And, but was also teaching at the College of Lake County, um, which is uh, uh, northern uh, su- suburbs of Chicago, um, community college with 30,000 students, one of the best community colleges in the nation. But I was back and forth every day. So it was Tuesday, Thursdays at one campus and Monday, Wednesday, Friday at the other. This was back before students were submitting papers electronically. So I was carrying like a like a big giant sample case, like a suitcase <laughs> on papers that had to be graded. Right. Um, I was like a road scholar, not a road scholar. Um, it was, it was awful. And I was on trains and, you know, and it was just so much waiting and, and, and there was just, you know, sadly, and this is still the case in academia, sadly, is that um, adjunct instructors, um, you know, those who are teaching part-time are doing unbelievable work and bringing really practical experience into the classroom and their, their students are benefiting in immense ways. Um, but those instructors are being paid very, very poorly. And um, really, when you do the math, it's really sort of coming out to far less than the minimum wage. And and it was just it just wasn't tenable. So um, it was. I remember I remember shedding a lot of tears um, over the decision and feeling um, I felt a little bit worthless. So I remember thinking I have a graduate degree, and um, I remember my starting salary at the at the magazine um, was $20,000. And, um, and it, I just remember thinking, this is gonna be really hard, I, you know, that I, I'm sort of starting from nothing. But, but what the lesson really is, and I think for, for your listeners as well, is that I didn't lose anything along the way. I had gained really wonderful perspectives and experiences as an instructor. I had learned a lot about the inner workings of colleges and universities, which serves me very well today. I, you know, I went on to, to run the marketing departments at a couple of colleges, and now our largest and most frequent uh, clients, whether it's for corporate training or for market research or strategy work, are all colleges and universities for the most part. Um, but it also, you know, it also really um, helped me understand that the world is changing and that we have to change along with it. And it was a really wonderful experience for me to sort of try that out. And I didn't lose my talent. And I think that's what's important is that if you think a lot of folks, whether they're in HR or they're a writer or they're an engineer, um, they get stuck in their industry. They think, well, I work in pharmaceuticals or I work in banking or finance. And they feel like that they have to stick in that particular industry. But your functional expertise, if you're a really good writer, you're a really great accountant, you're a really good lawyer, whatever that talent and skill set is that you have, you can take it with you anywhere. And that for me was a big aha. And when I lost my job in publishing, in the magazine publishing world, they gave us coaches, job transition coaches for those of us who were let go. And that was a wonderful experience because she had us do, ironically enough, a writing assignment. Um, she asked me to do some journaling about what my perfect workday would look like five years from now. And the big shock for me, Summer, was that when I wrote out that little essay, 
there was no job description. It wasn't that I was still someone's associate editor at a technical magazine. It was about that I was spending 60% of my day writing and 40% of my day doing other stuff, learning about new things, connecting with new ways, maybe learning how to do event management. And that's when I realized that as long as I could spend the bulk of my time working with words, there were a lot of other things I would love to learn about and a lot of other talents I was interested in tapping into. And that discovery freed me to go create a career I could really love. Well, that's so fantastic. And you may say that you didn't have courage, but you actually had courage. And from, from that point where you did make that transition, you learned so many things. And I have to kind of piggyback on that story where when I graduated from Berkeley with an undergrad in English literature, I really didn't know what I wanted to do, except that I knew I wanted to get into writing. I wanted to get into editing. But as you said, there were very few jobs out there that were available to us. So right. where I was going to go next was I'm going to go to law school. And when you talk about making changes and having courage and just going for maybe a different dream, it's okay. We, we kind of pivot where we need to be and we learn from those experiences. So I ended up going to law school and while I was there, I realized that wasn't the thing for me. And really, as you said, you know, with some of the people in the profession that you worked in in academia, you felt like you let them down or you felt like, you know, in, you, you just weren't living up to what your, what your, maybe your vision was, you know, for yourself. And so I felt the same way when I decided I'm going to leave law school. Yeah. And it wasn't for me. And now I was in this position where I needed to decide where I was going to be. So I ended up getting married, getting into nonprofit, right? Where yep. again aligns with you. And what you were saying is they don't pay anything. Right. I was getting right. $10 an hour for a master's degree. Yep. So when you talk about that 20 grand, I get what you're saying. <laughs> you got to take yeah. a night job. You got to do something else because it, it just, it wasn't paying the bills and they weren't paying yet. You know, I look back on that time and think, wow, all those steps led me to where I am today. If I didn't yeah, take those have. steps, I wouldn't yeah. have the skills that I have today. It was interesting. is so I've had the opportunity over the years to hire various people um, and in internships and um, contractor roles as well as employees. And what's, what's always interesting to me, and, and, and I say this with sort of no disrespect to folks who, uh, who majored in marketing and undergrad, um, but every time I have tried to hire someone in um, who has what looks like a formal background in marketing or public relations, I find that they, um, they struggle and they ultimately fail um, to meet at least the um, expectations of, of myself and my company. Um, and it's because they're coming in sort of knowing lingo, like they sort of know what the pieces of a press release are, or they know, um, you know, sort of marketing 101. Right. Um, but they, they don't, they're not strategists. They're right. not great writers. Um, and so, and interestingly, um, so yeah, so I, law is something I actually considered as well. And, and by the way, we work with law firms. so. And that's what's really fun about, for me, being an entrepreneur who owns a company who, that has, in, in one sense, a very, very narrow niche focus, right? We help, we help brands tell meaningful stories, and we do it by starting with the data, right? So that's kind of a, a, a unique approach. 
that said, we work in a lot of different industries. And what that has allowed me to do that no other job probably ever could have allowed me to do is to work in all those areas that I didn't get to pick up a degree in, right? So, right. so we work, you know, we work, we work with a wonderful law firm um, in, um, in Chicago that we really, really love working with. It's the firm where President Obama practiced um, as one of our clients. And, gotcha. you know, so we do, we get to work with, you know, hospitals and elite universities and uh, law firms that are doing really great civil rights work. And, and I don't have to go get degrees in all of these areas. Um, I get to learn sort of on the job, so to speak, as I work alongside these folks. And um, it's incredibly rewarding. Um, I think the only other way to maybe have that kind of exposure to a lot of different industries would be to work in, in some sort of a agency. I'm very sort of anti-agency with the work we do. I don't consider ourselves an agency, but, um, you know, or to, to be some sort of management consultant that has a sort of a breadth um, of, of clientele. But for me, it's really been, like you said, it's a, um, I don't, I see the journey as not so much sort of turning down different streets or paths, if, you know, sort of to play that metaphor, but an opportunity to take new passengers sort of into the car on the trip, right? And that's how I think about how we got um, to the place a few years ago when I decided to start a book publishing business in addition to our core market research company. Right. And I could talk to you forever about all these different things that you said, such as your coach, when you, when you got out of the, uh, the magazine business and doing technical, you know, things with different engineers and such. And, and one, you had to probably learn how to do a different type of writing as well. So yeah. technical yeah. writing and, you know, when you work with all these different types of companies like law firms, engineering firms, so forth and so on, you probably have to understand what type of writing goes into that as well to yeah. you know, be alluring to the folks that are going to read it. Correct? It's those lawyers love their Oxford commas, Summer. Right. But. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and, and this is the other thing with your coach, you know, when she had you write some of those things, you know, in your journal, you know, what you were writing about was something unique and you were learning about yourself. But what people forget is what you've learned in the past, you bring forward and they're called transferable skills. So yep. if you know how to apply those skills to different areas of your life and different jobs, you're good. Yeah. But I think yeah. when you talk about those people that, let's say, interview for your business and say they've got a marketing degree, if they haven't had that practical application, if they haven't been in the world sometimes, sometimes that's just limiting because what they know is what they've learned in a classroom. And I think that when we go back to talk about your education and how you were in academia, somebody coming in from the outside and working in the industry and then being able to teach students is really important because they're helping them learn practical skills. Right. Absolutely. So let's get into your publishing business. So tell us about how you did that, that turn into publishing, so to speak. I mean, I get it, uh, you know, the flavor of how you did this, but tell us a little more. So it's actually a really interesting story that not a whole lot of people probably know. So we were working, so 2015, um, my company had been around for about 13 years at this point, and we were doing work with a variety of different industries, and we had a client who is a, a relatively renowned neurologist um, in the Chicago area, and she had written a book about 
how to sort of get to the root of what's causing your headache pain and how to address it. And she was looking for a publisher. And we managed all of her sort of marketing and brand. So we oversaw content on our website. We you know, oversaw various projects for her. And she was really looking, how do I get a publisher? So she was, she was sort of caught in what many people who are writing books today still are caught in is this concept of traditional publishing, um, you know, trying to get an agent um, to pay attention to you and then get an agent who can get you in front of um, various different publishing companies who might offer you an advance and say, we love you, um, go finish your book and we'll pay you for it and we'll get it to market. And so she was looking at her book about headache pain as a marketing tactic, just as we would think about any other marketing tactic, a television commercials, you know, paid search campaigns on the internet, various different things to sort of attract attention and build her acclaim and be a tool uh, for the patients who were coming to her clinic. And so we needed to figure out how to get that book out. So as her marketing consultant, I essentially stepped in sort of as a sort of liaison to agents and we jumped on an airplane and we went to New York and we went to a book publishing conference and we got some meetings with with folks at, at various publishing companies including um, you know some of the really great sort of hybrid collaborative publishers like Greenleaf Book Group mm-hmm. and while we were out there um, I learned a lot about the industry and I realized this was going to be a long row of toe sort of for, for for this author that she could spend the next five years um, trying to get somebody to publish this really great manuscript and not getting anyone's attention. And it was really, there was, there's a lot of rejection in the industry and it was very heartbreaking to me. So so ultimately we sort of came home and I said, this can't be that hard. Like it can't be that hard to publish a book. Um, So how about we do this for you? So we had no background um, in book publishing. Um, So I had ghostwritten some books and sort of been on the other side of this as an author. So we sort of learned sort of the new way of how books were published and how to how to work with Amazon and how to work with print on demand book book binaries and and we got her book to market and we learned a lot along the way and then we sort of put that aside sort of we didn't think there was a whole lot of money in in doing this that it wasn't the kind of thing that we could get to any sort of scale on and we went back to taking really good care of our clients and a couple of years later um, we found ourselves in an interesting situation where we were doing some some work with a book coach um, so who was helping people write their books. And of course, she wanted to be able to introduce them to publishers. And and she called us and said, you know, hey, listen, somebody whose who's publishing company has really sort of failed them. Um, they sort of took their files or they never finished things or they cashed a check, but they're not returning the calls or what have you. Mm-hmm. And this alley is very, very common. So we're in an era, it's very much like the dot-com rise. So now it's like the sort of, um, the rise of small publishing companies is happening mm-hmm. really fast. They're failing very quickly as well. And so we had, in the course of a couple of months, we probably had six different people contact us to tell us horrible stories about mm-hmm. publishers that had really sort of done them wrong, who had taken their money and disappeared or had published versions of their book that were a draft version that had mistakes in it and released it to Amazon or that um, wouldn't return their phone calls and never sent the royalty checks, all kinds of horrible things. So we were being asked to essentially rescue these books. Kate, would you be willing, because one of the things I, I sort of pride myself on is my ability to negotiate, and would you be willing to pick up the phone and call the CEO of this publishing company you've never done business with and let them know that you've heard from one of their authors and 
they're never speaking to them again and you're stepping into the middle to make this right, get the files. So we did that over and over and over. Um, yeah. And it was messy. And there was very little um, margin in it for us. And so people started calling me the fairy godmother of book authors. And I actually have tons and tons of um, wands on my desk that people send to me. Um, and, and then we found ourselves in a situation, there was one particular company um, in Texas um, where their CEO um, was really sort of needing to take care of his health. And he was having trouble really keeping up with all, all of his commitments to authors. And so we had a whole group of authors all under the same publishing company who had sort of been left in the lurch. And so I decided saving them one at a time was just not, my company could not bear that. Um, so we went ahead, um, I wouldn't say it was a hostile takeover, but it wasn't a typical acquisition. <laughs> um, but we went ahead and acquired all the assets of that publishing company and rescued the 80 authors they represented. And now they're, so then suddenly overnight, I owned a publishing company um, and was able to then start um, really working with a lot of different types of authors who were writing on uh, primarily on business topics, leadership topics that I found particularly interesting. And so we were off and running. Um, I did it 100% the decision was made emotionally and I don't know that I would recommend that your listeners make other business decisions there were there were people calling me in tears saying like you know how this works like you could call the printing company you could call can you can you fix this for me and so I really sort of thought of this work initially as volunteer work and and then we found out over time we were really good at it and we assembled a team of outstanding writers. We have nobody junior on our team. Everybody who works here has um, you know, got 20 years of experience or master's degrees. And, um, and so we put together a really phenomenal team. And because I'm a professional writer um, at my core and a marketer, so we understand how to sell books, not just how to print one and get it to Amazon, but how to design a cover um, that, that people will pay attention to and how to release a book that's, that's better than its original manuscript. So we went ahead and um, launched Silver Tree Publishing as sort of a side business. Um, it is thriving. Um, it's as big as this year we'll publish more books than we've ever published, and we'll publish sort of probably twice as many books as Crown Business Books, which is the business book division of Random House. Mm -hmm. um, but it is still it is a small business. It is sort of an offshoot of our core company, uh, but something I feel very passionate about. There, I, there. Books and dogs are sort of the two things I'm really, uh, I really care about. <laughs> um, I love that. Books and dogs. I have a coffee mug that says, all you need are books and dogs. I have uh, That's awesome. two dogs <laughs> in my office right now. So, yeah. I know. Mine are, mine are downstairs, actually. Um, so let's talk. Let's jump to um, your recently released book. Tell us the name, yeah. how that came about. Wonderful. Yeah, thank you. So, um, so just a few months back, I released uh, my first business book, which is called Think Like a Marketer, How a Shift in Mindset Can Change Everything for Your Business. And um, it was a, a wonderful experience to sort of step into the shoes of the authors we represent in terms of the writing. So it was written um, on literally on planes, trains, automobiles, hotel rooms, um, and cruise ships. Um, I wrote every time I could find time. I made no excuses. Um, and it was really one of the most rewarding experiences uh, of, of my life. You know, writing the, the book is ultimately um, a fresh new way for 
leaders, whether they are small business owners and, and, and they could be solopreneurs, so whether you're a physician or a lawyer or maybe you're a professional speaker or you're a management consultant, um, you know, you, you might be a mechanic. There are all kinds of different things that people are doing that they own their own companies. This is a, a great book for them. It's also a really great book for people uh, as a manager, director, VP, or C-level um, in large organizations as well. This book essentially is it hinges on five principles that I believe that if you can change your mindset to really sort of focus on these five core principles, it will change the way you think about the business decisions you make every day at your organization and it will help you create more value for your customers and capture more value back to the bottom line. Um, so it's, you know, those, those principles are, you know, for example, sort of, you know, uh, principle number one is communicate for connection and meaning, not just to transact sales. And we talk a lot in the book about um, what does that look like? How do you create meaning and connection with marketplace and with your customers without constantly being saying, you know, click here, buy now, buy now. Right. Um, and how do you how do you balance that? Um, you know, and that's, that is really important because if you look at people posting on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, they really the ones that are getting, you know, a lot of following are the ones that are understand how to engage and also how to sell. However, you know, there, there's a balance there. And sometimes that can be really difficult. And one of the things I really enjoy about your book is that there are a lot of practical tips that you can apply that anybody can apply. And sometimes we forget, what can we do? What else can we do? And this book really allows for, hey, you know, some ideas, some some new um, growth, so to speak, you know, professionally for yourself. So it's an absolute wonderful book. I carry it around Thanks. all the time. <laughs> and I try to read, try and read bits and pieces that I can catch and go, oh yeah, I need to be doing that. Or, oh yeah, I can apply that. Thank you. No, thank you so much. You know, I, I, one of the things that makes me most excited when, whether somebody's bringing a, a copy of the book to a, a book signing or I see them post a picture of it on social media that, about their reading the book is when I see that there are tape flags and post-it notes and a notebook next to it sort of all over it and they're mm -hmm. writing little notes like we should apply this principle to the holiday gifts we send to our clients or um, it was very important to me when I wrote the book that I didn't write what felt like an academic book and that didn't feel that you know I was right. important to me that it was a practical guidebook um, which is why every chapter of the book has these sections um, that, that are called Ask Yourself. And it's, you know, one or two really simple questions about whatever that chapter was about. So, for example, we, there's a whole chapter, as you know, um, about uh, called Give It Away. And it's all about sampling strategies in different right. industries. How do you let sort of sample what it is you sell or what it is you do? Um, so, you know, so every section of the book has examples of, organizations and companies and brands that are doing the things that I think are really, really smart. And then there's always these sections called Ask Yourself that have a really specific pointed question to the reader that if they were to ask themselves that question right now, they could get out a blank sheet of paper and develop a plan for something they could do strategically or tactically today that would make a difference in how they're um, creating value for their customer and ultimately capturing value back to the bottom line. So the book, the book I think is, um, is very practical. We've been having, I have a whole lot of fun finding out who's using it. Um, we had a, recently had um, a woman who is the manager of a construction business tell me that 
Um, they made everybody in their company read the book and it's completely changed the way they run their company. Um, we've got colleges and universities that are reading it and have their fundraising people and their admissions people um, and their marketing people reading it and calling me and saying, you know, here's how we're applying the principles of the work that we do with respect to students or with parents. Or, so um, it is that, you know, the book talks a lot about how to be um, strategy, what I call strategy, religious and tactic agnostic. Um, you might remember Summer, one of the first times you and I ever chatted, you, you thought it was interesting that my businesses don't have identities on Instagram, right? Because that's a, that's a channel that really works well for your business. And But I happen to be strategy, religious, and tactic agnostic. Um, and I find that um, one sort of overspending time on social media actually detracts me from really deep, meaningful work um, from, from my brand and for my clients. But I also find that for whatever reason right now, um, that particular channel, that sort of tactical approach is not serving the, the right strategies. Um, that might not be the case a year from now or three years from now, I may uh, tweak a strategy and suddenly um, that lever uh, works. But I do think that that there is a challenge that that leaders of all stripes face is this idea of falling in love with tactics. And we saw it a lot when when uh, mobile phones were really rising, so we would have companies call us and say, we need an app. And I would say, okay, what is the app going to do? I don't know. Um, and I would say, well, who is the app going to serve? Our customers. Okay, what problem do, are your customers facing that your app could solve? We don't know. What do you like, know like, then? Why do you want this app, you, correct? What do you want an app for? Right? Why do you want an right. app? And, so we have people come to us, and, and interestingly, Summer, this is actually um, how we get the vast majority of the really meaningful market research work we do starts out with somebody picking up the phone and calling and saying, hi, I'm from such and such university, and we, we want to develop a communication strategy for the parents of our undergrads because we think parents could help us be partners in retaining their students if they really understood the value of this college or university when their kid says, I'm struggling, I want to drop out, the parent could maybe help them navigate those challenges and keep them in. And I say, okay, great. And they say, so can you help us design some emails and what have you? Um, and I say, no. Um, and I say, what do we know about parents? Do we know what they think of your university? Are they happy? Are they angry? Are they frustrated? Um, do they give a damn? Do they think you're overpriced? Do they think you're a great value? What, what do we know? And and ultimately, whoever's calling me says, well, we don't, we, we don't know. Uh, we have all kinds of assumptions, or we think we know. Um, and I tell them, we, we cannot create meaningful connection or communications to your marketplace, and we can't price your products appropriately, we can't talk about them appropriately, if we don't know what the marketplace thinks and what they care about, and so we need to go get the data. And so people call me all the time thinking they want to buy a product, they, they, they want to, you know, they, they want my advice about an app or they want my advice about, um, you know, what's the right thing to say in this speech in front of these 600 people or what have you. And, and the answer is almost always, I don't know, but I can help you find out. And so that, that really um, has been really exciting. And, and what's fun about having written a, a book is that there are a lot of organizations, specifically small organizations and so small businesses and entrepreneurs, who may never know me or may never be able to budget to hire me to do research for them or brand consulting for them or coaching or training for them. But everybody can spend a little bit of money and buy a book. And so this book has allowed me to impact more lives 
more careers and more companies in really meaningful ways um, and, and really sort of stretch that impact across a broader marketplace um, than I could ever do um, as a consultant, as a researcher, as a speaker. Um, and so that's been very, very rewarding. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure it has. And it's a great way of extending your reach. So, you know, fantastic. And congratulations with the book and, and your journey, quite frankly. So if you were to leave my listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? Oh, boy. So there are a few, and I think we've sort of touched on them. So let me, yeah. if I can, <laughs> yeah. So let me recap these in sort of a couple little bite-sized, you know, number one, you are enough. Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whatever you're worried about, number one, you are enough. Number two, you are not your college major, your functional expertise, your degree, or your last job title. You are way more than that. Um, those are a piece of your story, but you are not your college major. And I would say, um, you know, number three, and maybe most importantly, don't be afraid to grow up and be rich and famous or at least to grow up um, and be comfortable, safe, connected, uh, generous, well-known. I think that women, because of the way we've been socialized, we sometimes worry that sort of, you know, nice girls, you know, don't grow up to um, have celebrity or acclaim, but they do, and don't ever forget that. I love those words of wisdom. Thank you so much, Kate, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. Thank you. What a pleasure. Such an honor. If you'd like to know more about Kate Colbert, go to her website at www.silvertreecommunications.com and follow her on Facebook and Twitter. If you need a strategic empowerment coach, contact me. If you want to tell your story of empowerment or how you have reconstructed your life to drive change, send me a video or an email of your story providing permission to use it on my social media platforms. If you want to be featured on my podcast, reach out to me at info at corewomen.com. I want to hear from you and to get to know you. You are now part of the Core Women home. Let's get to know each other. Let's learn from one another. Please follow Core Women on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please let your women friends know about this podcast. If you write about Core Women in your social media posts, please hashtag Core Women. This is all about women. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about Core Women and please stay tuned for continued growth of the Core Women movement. Let's grow and drive change together.